today on Ag News Daily. There's probably, you know, five or six, maybe seven uh, seed companies uh, in, in this region that have breeding nurseries. And, and then besides that, in order to make the, uh, make the seed that the, that the farmer is going to eventually plant, Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, you know, yesterday we did not talk about the presidential debate that went (laughs) on. And I don't know how we let that slip through the cracks. Did you watch it? Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up because I also had that in my agenda to talk about today. Uh, So I have to be completely honest. I did not watch it. I am not a fan of the debates. I hate political, like, you know, ads and commentary just because we get so much of it here in Iowa. And to be honest, I did not watch the debate. And I'm okay with that because it sounds like it was a little bit of a smackdown battle anyways. But Ashton, did you watch it? I did. My roommates and I, we all gathered in the living room and we were doing our homework while simultaneously watching the debate. So, you know, I was kind of in and out, not paying too close of attention, but it just, I don't think that any debating even really went on. It was just like Trump and Biden were just kind of shooting daggers at each other and trying mm-hmm. to, I guess, hit each other where it hurt. I, I can say it just didn't, wasn't really a super successful debate. I don't think that I yeah. learned anything really about Trump or Biden. And so I've, I've seen a lot of people on social media kind of talking about where America is is headed and the election and whatnot. But, you know, I've also seen some kind of funny memes and, you know, I'm kind of a positive person. And so I kind of liked that little bit of comedic relief. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I agree. I think that the debates, maybe in the past, I'm sure in the past, actually, they had good conversation and it was an actual debate, but it feels like the more we move on through time, they do not actually debate. They just, you're right, like interrupt each other and yell. And I don't know if they yelled. I didn't watch it. But I, I like you, have seen lots of things on social media about it. Um, and it does sound like it was kind of a bloodbath, them taking time to, you know, knock each other, so to speak, on certain issues. And I saw this quote and thought I would share it. For those of our listeners who did or did not watch it, maybe you have similar feelings to me and feel like it's kind of a waste of time because nothing really gets debated. But it appears that uh, President Trump uh, touched on trade policy briefly, specifically Chinese trade policy, and said that, quote, China ate your lunch, Joe, Uh, just, you know, implying that Vice President Biden, former Vice President Biden is weak on China and would not, you know, follow through on anything if he were to become elected president. Other things that they took bashes on were the California wildfires going on right now. And I guess President Trump was pushed to discuss whether or not he actually believed in climate change and whether or not it was happening because of human activity. But I think that he also did a great job to acknowledge that yes, it's happening, but in the case of this wildfires and forest fires, there should be forest, better forest management to prevent future fires. And then the Green New Deal was brought up and all sorts of other issues. But I guess, Ashton, maybe you can attest to this, Vice President, former Vice President Biden bashed on Brazil and their, what not their ability, but their current status of 
destroying the Amazon rainforest. Did did you recall any comments about that? I did not. Okay, well, I guess something was said about how they destroy are destroying the Amazon rainforest under the new president Bolsonaro, which, I, to my opinion, is true, or to my knowledge, is somewhat true. But apparently, Brazilian president. Bolsonaro was very upset by that comment and lashed out against former Vice President Joe Biden for suggesting that Brazil be paid $20 billion to stop destroying the Amazon rainforest. I guess that was Vice President Biden's plan was to just pay Brazil off to not destroy the Amazon rainforest anymore. And that did not make Bolsonaro very happy. Yeah, I other ha- I have another quote here, Delaney, and I I don't know if this was actually said or if somebody just, you know, made this up or, or or what. But the they when they were talking about the New Deal and stuff, there somebody has said that Trump was quoted as saying they want to take out the cows. And fact check on on Twitter said neither the Green New Deal nor Mr. Biden's climate change plan would get rid of cows. And again, it's kind of just a little bit of a comedic relief to me. But I, I thought that, that was funny, and I actually retweeted it on Twitter. But uh, yeah, that's really all I have to say about the debate. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I like politics, but I like it more from a global perspective. I don't really like to get super involved in like, who's going to win the presidential debate. That's not my cup of tea. So let's move on from that whole subject before we say something that somebody disagrees with. And I just don't even like dealing with that or, you know, people on Facebook posting their opinions. I hate that stuff. It just makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, let's go ahead and, and move on from that, Delaney. So what news headlines are you reading today? Well, I tell you what, I am just keeping a close eye on where we're at for harvest today. And was reading it through a few articles, you know, trying to get some sort of perspective from folks outside of Iowa or outside of my kind of area in Iowa of how harvest is really looking. And it sounds like variation is really what we're seeing, you know, in years past, especially last year, we were pretty wet all season long, or at least at the beginning and the end. But this year, we're really all over the board. Yield reports are all over the board, crop conditions all over the board. I mean, you know, it sounds like some guys are having really dry drought areas that are coming in with low moisture. You know, folks reporting 16, 17, 18% moisture. We're seeing other fields with 25, 35, 40% moisture. So again, a nightmare for corn dryers. And yield is the other thing that's been pretty variable. Um, was reading an article on AgWeb talking about specifically areas coming from drought-stricken farms. And those ranges were seeing anywhere from 120 to 170 bushels per acre, even across an entire field. But so far for those normal, good-looking crops, we're seeing an average of uh, 200 to 210 in some certain areas of the country, 250 to 300 in other areas. Bean yields are also really varied. You know, I've heard farmers have 40 bushel beans. I've heard others having, you know, upper to mid 50s, even some in the 70s and 80s. So really, really varied this year. So I'm excited to keep an eye on that and see what I hear in other uh, reports as well as on Twitter. And um, I know people don't like to give specific yield numbers, but you can always message us privately. We never, ever, ever share who the farmer is. We might share, you know, where you're from. But if 
if you have any yield information or perspective on how things are looking in your area, I would love to hear from you. You can find us on Ag News, excuse me, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook at Ag News Daily, or you can message me directly on Twitter at Delaney Howell 07. Yeah, Delaney, I actually was preparing the newsletter for today, and that's what I talked about in the little editorial piece is, you know, yield expectations and what farmers are seeing. And from from what I have gathered, it's a lot of those lower yields or lower yield expectations are coming from those drought areas and maybe not areas that were hit really by the derecho storm. But I don't know, we will just have to keep on looking But one other thing that I am watching today is Trump's approval or rather, I guess, his his signing of government funding, including the CCC replenishment. And from the article that I read, it sounded like President Trump came in just in time because he was doing some campaign stops in Minnesota and came in about an hour after Washington officially ran out of money. And Farm Bureau economist John Newton, who we've had on the podcast before, said that the continuing resolution immediately replenishes $20 billion to commodity credit corporation funding. And he was quoted as saying, that way, USDA can continue to distribute their CFAT2 program payments to help producers affected by COVID-19, as well as distribute their typical farm bill conservation, marketing loan programs, and then your ARC PLC benefits. And Newton says that that was important to prevent delays in payments to farmers, of course. But I definitely thought this was pretty interesting. And I, you know, I wish that I could have been a fly on the wall as Trump was coming in from just doing some campaign stops an hour after Washington ran out of money. I can only imagine, you know, what that must have been like in my head. I'm just, I'm thinking that it was just kind of like in a rush and they had to, you know, make all these decisions, I guess, maybe not pretty quickly, but I definitely thought that it was interesting. So do we know for sure that there was, there was indeed a stopgap spending measure signed by President Trump, right, to shut down or to avoid a government shutdown? Yes. And and, in this article specifically, it says that a government shutdown was averted at the last minute. Meaning several farm programs, of course, will continue to be funded. And then, of course, in the article that I read, there's, you know, quotes from National Corn Growers Association, the National Farmers Union. And this might be something that I put on social media because it was pretty lengthy. So I wasn't going to, you know, read the whole thing for our audience. But it was, you know, definitely something that I was trying to keep my eye on because we heard from so many different associations and organizations about the funding. So yeah, I might just go ahead and put this on our social media today. That sounds fantastic, Ashton. I tell you what, I think I am all out of news for today. It's a little slower of a news day. I guess folks are still reveling in the debate news. I don't know, but should we talk markets today? Let's go ahead and do it. Well, after yesterday's explosive moves, we still ended in the green, but just you know, saw maybe more of a breath of fresh air today, especially in the soybean markets. For the December corn contract added three and three quarters cent today to close at 382 and three quarters. Again, I believe this is a new contract high for the December contract. So we are continuing to see some upward momentum here. 
The March contract, however, put on three and three quarters as well to close at 392 even. In the soybean pits, the November contract ended unchanged on the day to close at 1023 and a half. The January also ended the day unchanged to close at 1027 and a quarter. In the wheat pits, the December contract pulled back seven and three quarters cent today to close at 570 and a quarter. The March pulled back seven and a quarter cent to close at 576 and a half. In the livestock pits, read across the cattle complex as the October contract shed two pennies to close at 108.52 and a half. The December down 52 and a half cents to close at 111.82 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the October contract down 42.5 cents today to close at 140.92.5, while the November shedding 80 cents to close at 141.25. Lean hogs were mixed today as the October contract added $1.35 to close at 74.15. The December shed a quarter to close at 62.85. And in the Class 3 dairy milk futures, the October contract adding 47 cents today to close at $20 on the nose. The November adding 53 cents to close at 19.16. Now, for today's interview, we're talking about a market that does not have a futures-traded contract, but is one that is important to our agricultural system, especially for our folks down there in the South. We are talking sorghum today with Brent Bean. Today on the podcast, we have Brent Bean, who is the Director of Agronomy at United Sorghum Checkoff Program. Brent, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk sorghum today. Well, glad to be with you. So, Brent, I was just recently talking to some folks that are involved in the sorghum industry, and they had informed me that harvest has happened already down here in Texas, and it's moving on to Kansas and some other states. So why don't you let us know how harvest has gone in Texas and what we can expect to see from the harvests that are going on in some other states as well? Sure. Well, of course, Texas is such a big state, and and sorghum you know, it actually gets planted in South Texas down on the coast uh, in February, March. So that sorghum was actually harvested, you know, a couple months ago, three months ago. And, and then the harvest just progresses north from there. Uh, in the Texas panhandle, where I'm sitting today is in Amarillo. Uh, we, ha- we have harvested some sorghum here, but I'd say we're really just getting started good in, in this area. And then as you move on up into Kansas and uh, over into Oklahoma and other areas, you know, some, certainly some of that sorghum has also been harvested. Now in Kansas, probably just getting started, but, but they, but they have started and, and, and we'll be, we'll be harvesting sorghum really for certainly the next month, if not next, next six weeks as you move on further north on up into Nebraska and Missouri and, and other areas. So Brent, as I mentioned to you before we started the podcast, I'm from Iowa. I don't know personally anyone that grows sorghum uh, other than, you know, folks I see on Twitter that post things and Facebook and elsewhere, but I don't know anyone personally that grows sorghum. So just because I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit more about the season of a, of a sorghum producer? Are they planting at the same time as corn and soybeans harvesting around the same time, or is it more similar yeah. to wheat? Yeah, good question. Yeah, basically it's, it's very similar to corn as far as when we're going to plant summer crop. And, uh, you know, typically with corn, we'll, you know, the, the growers, a lot of growers will plant corn once soil temperatures get above 50 degrees is kind of the, the, the mark that most people look at. With sorghum, we really like the soil, the soil temperature to be about 60 degrees. So typically, again, in South Texas and other places, you know, they'll plant their corn first and, and then come back and, and plant sorghum. Uh, about the same time in, in the areas that grow cotton, about the same time they're planting cotton is, is typically uh, when you're going to plant 
uh, plant grain sorghum. And then sorghum, you know, comes in various uh, maturities from, uh, you know, very, you know, fairly short maturing where you could maybe plant it and harvest it in 90 days to, you know, maybe as long as 130 days, uh, depending on where you're planting and the maturity type. And so actually we'll have growers, especially in Kansas that do this quite a bit and, and in some parts of Oklahoma will double crop, uh, uh, sorghum with, with wheat. So they'll harvest their wheat, you know, maybe in mid June or so and then come back and, and plant sorghum as a double crop. But, uh, but typically as you move further north and kind of in the main sorghum growing regions of, uh, the Texas Panhandle, South Plains, uh, Oklahoma and, and, and into Kansas, a lot of sorghum probably gets planted from, I would say, June 1st to June 25th. So, Brent, I want to talk about these hybrid plants that you have mentioned a little bit to me just in, in our discussions. But I was driving, I, I'm in Lubbock, and I was driving from Dallas to Lubbock a couple of days ago, and I noticed some sorghum crops that had what looked like paper bags around the heads of the plants. And so I was very curious to see, you know, what that was about and come to find out it has to do with the hybrid. So why don't you tell us the process of what, what that looks like from creating these hybrid plants and what you guys are doing? Yeah, well, well the, uh, the Texas Panhandle area is kind of the, uh, well, it is the place to grow uh, sorghum for, for, for seed, for seed production. Uh, uh, Probably, certainly in the U.S., probably 95% of all the sorghum uh, that's going to be planted or that's being grown for seed is grown in this region. And, and a lot of that seed actually is, is also uh, used internationally. So uh, this is kind of the, the capital for seed production. And the reason for that is, uh, is we have a dry climate, uh, yet we do have irrigation water. And so we can we can we can water the sorghum and, and get good yields, but that dry climate uh, tends to promote uh, good quality seed because we don't have a lot of diseases that are going to impact uh, that seed as it's developing. Uh, so that's that's a that's a big plus uh, in the in the seed world. So this is kind of the area for seed production. So when you see um, uh, paper bags over a sorghum head in a field. That is more than likely, that's from a seed company, and that's a nursery. What they call a nursery, that's their breeding nursery. And so if you have a bag over a head, that means someone has gone in there and, and well, obviously placed that bag over the head so it would self-pollinate, okay, because uh, sometimes they won't, they won't do that. Uh, or they have uh, taken pollen from another plant, sprinkled it on that head, and then place that paper bag over that head so that no outside pollen can get in. And so that's how a cross is made. Um, in, in, in the sorghum world, to, to make a cross, you've got to have a stale, a, a, a male sterile uh, plant, or that would be your female plant. And then you would have another plant, obviously, that's, that's going to be the, the pollen donor, and it's going to be fully fertile. So what you do, you basically, once that, once that plant pollinates, that male the plant pollinates, you, you take a bag over that head, give it a, a little bit of a shaking, that, that pollen will end up in the bag. You then take that bag over to the, to the plant that you want to cross-pollinate with and place it over that, 
that particular head, when it's flowering, it'll be male sterile. So there's no pollen there. And then that's how you make that cross. So what you were seeing was a was a uh, a breeding nursery where they're developing and looking at, at new lines and, and potentially new hybrids. Um, there's probably, I don't know, five or six, maybe seven uh, seed companies uh, in, in this region that have breeding nurseries. And, and then besides that, in order to make the, uh, make the seed that the, that the farmer is going to eventually plant, well, they'll plant uh, bigger fields of these. So they'll have a, they'll have a, uh, their their female plant that again that's male sterile planted in rows and you may have oh, anywhere from 12 to 24 rows of the, the the female plant all planted in a, in a big you know in a big circle big field and then you'll have maybe four to six rows of the male pollinator okay and so uh, the farmer is growing that and then that uh, since since you have those female plants that are sterile uh, all the pollen will blow around in that field and pollinate uh, those plants. And that is the seed that's harvested that goes into the bag that the farmer is going to end up planting the next year. Uh, so that's the hybrid seed. And we probably have, depending on the year, somewhere around fifty to 60,000 acres of, uh, of, of seed production in this region. So if you're, if you're ever driving around, and, and, sp- and a lot of times those – so you can you can see those rows because the male plant it may be a a white grain and the female plant may be red so it's it's very very attractive because you'll see all these colors in a field. Mm. Well, that is in all likelihood that is a a hybrid production field. That's fascinating. I I hadn't realized all of that the colors and such. But I also wanted to ask. When you look at traits or new technology coming down the pipeline for sorghum producers, are there any out there that have you really fired up or things you think that sorghum producers should be aware of? Well, one thing we're excited about and something that sorghum checkoff uh, put a lot of money into was developing what's called double haploid technology. Uh, And that's a breeding technique that that, that breeders use to speed up the process. It's been used in, in corn probably for the last 20 years. Uh, but it hasn't been used in sorghum. So we invested quite a bit of money actually with uh, Corteva uh, to develop this technology, or at least to try to develop this technology, and they were able to do so. Uh, now, that technology, they're going to share that technology with everyone. But what excites us about that technology is it should knock off four to five years off of the time that it takes to to make a hybrid from the time, it, time you make the cross in the field to getting that hybrid in the bag should knock off four or five years. Well, that's a big deal. And so we're very excited about that particular technology uh, and, 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 and being able to use that now in sorghum. Uh, the other thing that we're very excited about is, you know, all the other crops or major crops uh, all have herbicide trait technology. So you've got your glyphosate or Roundup tolerant corn or soybeans, for example. Um, Sorghum is is non-GMO, and so we have not had any of those traits in sorghum, and and that has been somewhat of a disadvantage to us because it really limits our weed control options. Well, through some natural breeding techniques, we've been able to develop some some herbicide traits in in sorghum, and we're going to see those finally on the market 
in 2021. Uh, at least that's the that's the expectation. So these three technologies that we have, uh, they're, they're coming to us through three companies. Uh, one of those uh, uh, companies is Corteva. And, and they actually have everything approved. They've got what's called Enzyme Sorghum. That's the brand name for the sorghum uh, that's going to be herbicide tolerant. It will be tolerant to the sulfonylurea class of herbicides. So, so those that grow have grown corn are probably familiar with nickel sulfuron, or it was sold under the trade name of Accent. That product will be sold as under the trade name Zest to be used over the top of Enzyme Sorghum for grass control. Well, that's very exciting to us because we have not had any products that we could really effectively control grass over the top of sorghum. So we're expecting that technology uh, to be, we think it'll be introduced uh, on a very small scale in 2020 and then hopefully in 2021, or excuse me, in 2021, and then in 2022, uh, hopefully see uh, much more of that seed available. But that's all fully labeled and approved. We then have Advanta Seed Company, and they have developed uh, what they're calling iGrowth sorghum. Well, the iGrowth sorghum is tolerant to the imidazinone class of herbicides. The herbicide they will use in that will be called Imiflex or Amazamox is the is the, the chemical name. Uh, growers may be familiar with that in soybeans as Raptor or Beyond in Wheat. Uh, so that technology is coming along, and they've got the hybrids fully developed. In fact, that particular company is is actually, um, you know, taking orders for that seed. Now that has not been yet approved by the EPA. The expectation is that'll be approved sometime in the next, you know, two or three, four months. Uh, but that that is the expectation. But I do need to say that it has not yet been labeled. Um, the third one is S&W Seed Company, and they've developed what they're calling double-team, double-team sorghum, and that will be tolerant to the ACCA's class of herbicides, and specifically Coazifop, and growers will be familiar with that as a sure. Very effective, very good post-emergence grass herbicide. Now, they're probably a little bit further behind. They'll probably have a have a little bit of an introduction of that uh, material in 2021, uh, more on a demonstration type basis. And that has not yet been labeled either, but it's the expectation is it'll be labeled in the next few months. And then probably 2022, maybe even 2023 before we actually see, you know, hybrids being sold with that particular trait. But we're very excited about all three of those technologies. It is certainly something to be excited about, Brent. And I look forward to seeing, you know, if you guys do get that approval and how these products will do in the markets, but for our listeners that want to keep up with sorghum, where can they do that on social media? Uh, sure. Well, we have a website, uh, the sorghum checkoff website is, has all kinds of good information on it. So that's, I would suggest uh, looking there uh, would probably be the best place. Um, uh, certainly just contacting the sorghum checkoff office. So uh, we can provide all kinds of information uh, you know, that way. Uh, the Sorghum Checkoff is active on Facebook as well as Twitter. Uh, I have a, a, a Twitter handle myself uh, called uh, Sorghum Brent is, is my handle. And uh, occasionally we'll post things on there and, and interact with people that have questions about sorghum on Twitter. 
Well, awesome, Brent. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Glad to do it. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. Many vehicles today have electric power steering. They no longer use an engine-driven pump. This has allowed the engineers to vary the amount of assist independent of engine speed. The common thought process is to evoke a high degree of assist at standstill and low speeds. This has caused many to turn the steering wheel with the vehicle stopped. When this is done, there is an exponential amount of stress on all the steering components causing rapid wear. With any power steering system, always have the vehicle or tractor rolling slightly when turning the steering wheel. The tie rods, ball joints, and other parts will thank you. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit FarmMachineryDigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles where steel and soil meet. Again, a big thank you there to Brent for chatting sorghum with us. Really exciting stuff. I am going to have to follow up with him, Ashton, and see if I can't find myself an Iowa sorghum producer. Yeah, and I might have to go out into those fields I was talking about myself and maybe take some photos of, of those, you know, paper bags on the heads of that sorghum. When I saw that Delaney, I I don't know what I was thinking. I definitely wasn't thinking that it was a nursery and they were doing such cool things to create these hybrids and not using GMO technology and using conventional breeding programs. And so I thought that it was very neat. And I'm so glad that Brent was able to come on the podcast to, you know, dive more into that development. Yes, so was I. It was fantastic to learn more about that. And folks, you can always learn more about other assets or facets in agriculture by heading to our website, agnewsdaily.com, to check out our past episodes. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.